Amen. Wow. Well, you were right, Kristen. It's been amazing so far. We got more to go. So, guys, we are in a series. Uh, so we've been in for a little while. We're going to go through the actually end of summer, and we're calling it the 20 building stones of the well in Carmel. And so are we up and going, guys? We got it good. Here we are. So just real quick review. So we've done six. This is our seventh one. We've done six so far. So they are basically, our first one is Jesus, period. So encounter with Jesus is our number one top thing. We're a Christ-centered church. Uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit, number two. Number three, the Bible. We honor the word of God. Number four, the supremacy of love. Number five, the priority of prayer. And a couple weeks ago, Bruce did the goodness of the gospel. And so we're going to continue on that series today. We're in stone number seven. We're calling this the atmosphere of joy. We are a joy-permeated church. I love the word permeated because it means it seeps through and affects everything. I shared a number of years ago, if there ain't joy on it, I ain't doing it. So that's part of my deliverance and my, uh, my journey. I've discovered the moment I start to feel joy decreasing is the moment I know I'm out of the will of God. And I get, I get back. I stop and go, Holy Spirit, what do you need me to know about this? And I get back into joy. So we're going to talk about the atmosphere of joy today. This is going to be uh, really great. And I'm just praying. Uh, I, I'm wondering, I'm doubtful that many of you in this room have ever heard a message on the theology of joy. But there is a strong theology of joy in the scripture that I'm hoping to lay a foundation because joy isn't just this activation exercise that we do or we lay hands on and suddenly you're kind of happier than when you came. Uh, joy is a deep, profound reality that I love. Gary, Gary said this this morning in our our prayer time before, he said, joy is a person. Joy is the man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. So when you encounter Jesus, you encounter joy. I love what uh, the revivalist Billy Sunday said. He said, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. So joy should be one of the manifestations that we see in the body. It's not a fake kind of happiness or the smile or good face that you put on. It is a culture. And so when we pray, let heaven come, one of the things that happens when heaven is permeating or saturating a people or an atmosphere, it's joy. Joyful, uh, joyful hearts are one of the things that begin to be released. So I just want to look at this righteousness, peace, and joy. So we know Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God. So Paul is differentiating to the church who was uh, the church in Rome who was often known for excess. So he's saying, listen, guys, it's not about your love feast. It's not about eating or drinking. You have to understand this mystery of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. If you want to know the three main ingredients of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus prayed, let it be on the earth like it is there. It's made up of three main ingredients. Righteousness, meaning everything that's wrong is made right. Everything in right alignment. Peace and joy. Can you imagine joy is a third of the kingdom. Now, let me ask you guys this. How big is the kingdom of God? Measure it for me. 
Nadine, how big you think the kingdom of God is? Unlimited. So how big, if joy is a third, how much joy is allowed in the church? Undefined number. I love that. So joy may be something we want to look into a bit more. If it's a third of the kingdom. We're going to look at definitions here. So biblical words for joy. So in the Hebrew, it's simcha, simea, and kara. It means, kind of literally translates, abounding gladness and divine mirth, or what I would call holy mirth. Um, But I love this. If you dig into, often in the Hebraic, you have picture, pictograms, you have picture definitions, and the picture of gladness or, or of Uh, joy is almost like a sun arising. And so it literally means to shine or to be bright, to walk in light. So a joyful people who are under the banner of Jesus, there's a shining quality to them, a brightness. Like how will the world know we are Christians if we don't do that great exchange that Joni talked about? If we're only walking in a spirit of heaviness, is that our portion How does the world know we are any different from any other people or religious group in the earth? So I just believe the Lord's going to begin to release bright and shining ones more and more who walk in a reality of of joy. So uh, another definition or something I I like to uh, just kind of share about the atmosphere of joy. We know that joy is different from happiness Because happiness is most often determined by what happens to you, right? I'm happy because this, it's race day. I'm happy. I'm in a good mood. So circumstances. But joy is independent of your circumstances and and of, or else what your environment is. It's like uh, when I need plumb lined, I do two things. I do a number of things, but I usually talk to my wife and she high-fives me, which is called a slap upside the head. It says, get back into alignment with the Word of God, Marvin. So when I need plumb line, just keeping it real, come on, couples, you know what I'm talking about. Thank God for godly wives who will call you out on things. So, so when I need plumb line, other than the Bible and my wife, um, there's two things I, I default back to. I read The Hiding Place, that book, amazing. That story, amazing. That woman, amazing, and talk about a lesson in joy, a lesson in joy independent of circumstances or environment. If you can learn to have joy in a concentration camp, you can have joy anywhere. The other thing I do is I read Fox's Book of Martyrs. So I read The Hiding Place and I read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it plumb lines me back to joy. I get delivered from a spirit of heaviness, and I, I align with what really matters on earth. So joy is otherworldly, and it's only truly available to God's people. Do you know God himself is joyful? I love what Sonia released today. The, he's the laughing God. That is, I think, a form of deliverance. It says, laughter does good, the heart good like medicine, I mean, if you look at that word medicine there, it's the word we talk about Zoe life, like salvation, body, soul, and spirit. Something uh, uh, translates when we step into holy laughter uh, that does really set our hearts free, and it changes even our chemistry. There's so many uh, studies about what happens, what's released in the body when we cry and when we laugh. It actually produces health in the body. It releases 
us from stress. So God himself is joyful. First Timothy 1.9, it says, it's the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And that word blessed is the word bright and shining. It's the word that the root of it is the word joy. He's the joyful, happy God. So uh, my faraway boss, Mike Bickle, who runs the House of Prayer in Kansas City, um, he says this, God is not mostly mad or sad. He is mostly glad. Come on, we've been talking about good news all morning. If you don't leave here feeling a little bit relieved about that, because I don't know, I grew up in a church culture that pretty much convinced me without coming right out and teaching it that God was mostly mad. I walked around feeling like I'm just one step away from hell constantly. And uh, anyone can relate. I'm glad I'm the only person that's ever had that kind of culture around me. Thank you, Joni, for that hand in the back. So when I discovered God was not mostly mad, he was mostly glad. Oh, man, what a powerful deliverance in my life. He's the author and originator of joy. We know this from the very beginning of the story in Genesis 1, over and over. He, this master artist, he creates and says, and that's good, and that's good, and that's good. It's all goodness. Everything, the original intent and design of his heart when he created this canvas called the universe, and he put sons and daughters on that painting and thrust us into the universe. It was goodness. It was all about joy over and over. This is who the Lord is. We know he is the source of joy. I love 1 Chronicles 16, 27. It says, honor and majesty surround him. Strength and what? Fill his dwelling. Strength and joy fills his dwelling. He is seated in the midst of joy. Read Revelation 4, 5. You don't have to go very far to figure out how joyful the environment of the throne room really is. Joy is God's nature. Here's the thing, unless we get a foundation of what joy is, where it comes from, what it's rooted in, who the author of it is, you and I will never step into the joy that is meant for you and I on this side of the age. Joy isn't something that's just coming in the next age. Joy is your portion today. Joy is your inheritance. Joy is your birthright. Righteousness, peace, and joy are the birthright of the citizens of heaven. So we know in Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, God's anger lasts only a moment. Again, can we talk about good news this morning? His anger is just momentary, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Now, the psalmist is trying to give us this stark contrast. Anger, a brief moment. Favor, extending forever, a lifetime. Weeping, a short season. But you have to remember, when the morning comes, and does morning always come? How many of you have been asleep and morning not came yet? Yeah, thank you, man. I'm like, we'll talk after this. Every one of us have always, the morning has always come. Joy is guaranteed. Joy comes. This is why. It's because it's his nature. So we know joy is found where God is. I love Psalm 16, verse 11. We sing this. We've quoted it. It's just such an anchor scripture for people in the uh, the prayer and worship movement. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit penned this and used the word fullness. It means 
overflowing abundance. There's not just a little bit of joy available for you, like here's your little shot glass of joy. That's all you're going to get today. No, it's like imagine the mug that's overflowing, overspilling. That's how much you get of joy today. It's the fullness of joy. But the key is his presence. That's why I'm adamant that everything we do, I don't care how hard, and I mean this very in an honoring way as a papa. I don't care how hard people push me here uh, with agenda. I'm not moving forward on anything until everyone is in alignment and agreement that we are hosting God's presence here as the number one priority. So Wednesdays are really important to me, whether you come or watch online. Like, what will make all the difference in the world? What will release people into identity and destiny if we host his presence? Because here's the key. In his presence is fullness of joy. We will never get to a place of vibrant, thriving health and evangelism unless we step into this reality that his presence is everything. His presence is the key to everything. It says at your right hand there are pleasures evermore. He wants us to taste and see that he is good. We know that when he talks about the place of his presence or what I call the house of prayer, he says in Isaiah 56, he says, Tori, I'm going to bring you into my place of prayer. You're going to talk with me, but here's what I'm promising you. You're going to experience my emotions of joy and gladness. I will lure you into that place and make you joyful. How many of you are thankful that the emotion associated with prayer is joy and not crabbiness? Can I see a hand or get a witness in this place? Come on. So joy in the place of prayer. Okay, I want to talk about the mood of heaven. Joy has everything to do with God's delight over us. It's why uh, when Jen was leading us out, maybe never lose the wonder, and you are beautiful to me. I just heard him, I just heard him singing it back. You're beautiful, you're beautiful to me, dude. It was so weird to hear God say that to me. But joy has everything to do with God's delight over us as his people. And our delight back to him, we are not, you're not just tolerated today. Look at me. If this doesn't get us delivered, I don't know what will. You are not just tolerated. You are utterly celebrated by your father in heaven. Not just your dad. There's a community in heaven celebrating you. Stephanie, you're one of the most celebrated people in all of heaven. You're talked about all the time. You're not just tolerated. You are celebrated. Here's the thing. If that starts to leak down on us, we will change how we relate to each other. My, I tell you, I'll be honest. One of my goals in this place is to know every single person and that when they come into contact with me, they know it's not just lip service. They, whether it's words or not words, whether it's a hug or a high five or a smile, you know that I see you and I don't just, it's not just lip service, you're celebrated. Truly celebrated. You know why? Because he's done that with me. What if we all adopted that as like, this is normal Christianity. It looks like a freak show to most people. Because it's not normal in this age of meism and self-isolation and protection. What if, what if he did such a work in our heart 
of we know it from him, and then we begin to manifest that in our relationships. How beautiful would that be? Would the world maybe not look in and go, that is so counterculture. Maybe I want to be a part of something like that. The mood of heaven. Jesus wants it that way on the earth. So that's Psalm 149, verse 2. It says, let Israel rejoice. And that I put have or express joy in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Psalm 149, 2. The church is called to enjoy God. You have permission to enjoy God. I don't know about you guys. I know last week was Shrek. My good friend was intense. What I love about him, for one, he confronts religious spirits. I like that he comes from a different stream than I do. I think that's healthy. I like that he speaks a different language than me. I think that's healthy. I like that he comes... Uh, his background and story is way different from mine. I think that's healthy. And I think we need to be pushed about our belief system. I think we need to be pushed about prejudices that we have. I think we need to be pushed by true prophetic voices. And I think his joy, I mean, someone called it Comedy Central. I think it's needed in the church. I think it's him being authentically who he is because of the pain of what he's come out of. I think it's a beautiful thing. We are called to enjoy God, and church services should not be a drudgery. Here's the thing. They don't have to look alike every week. It's so what I love about the well. I mean, Sally and I adore this place because we never know what's going to happen. Week after week, it's so, I can't tell you how, refreshing it is to know I'm going to be refreshed instead of drained and irritated when I leave. And some of y'all who've been in ministry know what I'm talking about. It's so refreshing to leave refreshed and built up and knowing uh, the religious spirit is not going to win in this place. Hallelujah, yes. So I love the Westminster Catechism. The chief aim of man is to glorify God. Now, so many theologians stopped right there, put a period. What I love about the Westminster one, it added this. It says, and to enjoy him forever. So many people go, glory to God. I'm made for the glory of God. This is all about the glory of God. Let's get the nation saved. But part of that is about learning this thing, this culture of joy, enjoying who he is. So just continuing to develop this theme. I believe joy comes from hearing the bridegroom's voice. I believe, I, can, I now can step into atmospheres and I can step into uh, ministries and I consult and I do a lot of this stuff on health and growth and so I can step into a place, a church, and I know the level of the pure prophetic by how much joy is manifesting. If there's what I call cranky holiness, I know that the prophetic spirit has been squelched. And I'm talking about pure prophetic because there's a, there's a false prophetic that's anything goes and it's sloppy and it's what I would call caustic or toxic. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about healthy prophetic. I was so encouraged when Craig and Christine were here a few weeks ago. Uh, Christine walked up to me in worship. She said, because the prophetic was just popping all over the place. There was so much spirit of revelation in here. She's like, Marvin, the prophetic is so pure. She's like, the stream is so pure here. I can't get over it. It's just so pure what is happening. And so I know it's a sign of healthy joy. 
And so I'm going to show you this in the word. John chapter 3, 29 through 30 says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Who's the bride? Can men be the bride of Christ? Can women be the sons of God? Yes, okay. Without it being weird or gender dysphoria or any of those things. So the bride, the body, the church belongs to the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus, okay. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and does what? Listens for him and is full of what? Full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. What brings fullness of joy? Hearing the voice of the bridegroom. And John, remember Jesus said, there's no prophet born greater of a woman. John is the, he's the bar. Then he also says that, so, but whoever's the least of these, you're going to do greater. I mean, you're greater than this. So he sets the bar, and then he qualifies all of us to go further, to build on John's ministry. But John said that joy is mine, and it's now complete. Guys, John the Baptist was no weird, gloomy prophet dude out there trying to freak people out, just preparing the way of the Lord. This guy was the most glad-hearted prophet apart from Jesus. People think of John as gloomy. There's no way. If, if joy equals hearing the voice of the bridegroom, no one heard the voice of the bridegroom's or the father's voice more clearly during this time period than John. So John had to be a champion, an overflowing well of joy. The heart of true, clean, pure, prophetic will be joy. It will not be condemning. You can even bring words of correction. Words of correction will release joy because I love to get rebuked in a clean way because it sets me free. It aligns me back with with all the things that Jesus cares about and values. But it's from this false place it will get messy and unhealthy in relationships. Pure, clean, prophetic will always partner or manifest with joy. Does that make sense? So if we want an increase of joy, we cannot shut down the prophetic. Shrek called me on the way home last week, and he said, first of all, he wanted me just to extend uh, his thanks to you guys because he said, I've never been welcomed into a place like that. So this is a real deal prophet of the Lord who's been ministering in this region for 25 years, uh, has some of the most accurate words of knowledge I have ever heard and um, and he's like, uh, he told me, he's like, first of all, he's like, if I would have found you guys a year earlier, I probably would have never moved to Cleveland, and I just would have stayed here, which is so, I think, so kind and sweet. And um, so, but one of the things he said, he said, Marvin, you have to be vigilant against the religious spirit that is trying to shut down the prophetic in your body. The pure, and he said the pure prophetic. And he said that thing will become critical and it will try to move you. And it, he said, that thing has chased you and Sally from ministry to ministry because everywhere you've gone, you've raised up that voice of one crying out, a culture of health where the word of the Lord is valued. You guys hear what I'm saying? And so he's saying that uh, to vigilantly guard the pure prophetic. And so it's why we're going to talk about the prophetic in a few weeks and uh, the word of the Lord. And so it's so connected with joy. Okay, continuing. The joy set before Jesus. What's up with that? You know where I'm going, right? Hebrews 12, 
the joy set before him. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, good news, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I've heard some crazy teachings on this that I'm just like, does not make any sense. So I'm just going to break this down a little bit. I see joy as relational. And I think joy has a relational component that bears out in Hebrews 12. I think it's a sign of healthy family and church. So I just want to talk about three possibilities of what was the joy set before Jesus. So imagine Jesus on the cross enduring this heinous uh, execution for hours, the agony, not only the, the physical pain and agony, but the weight of the sin of ages past and ages future is coming into his body. He's burying it in his frame. The father turns his face away from his beloved son. The agony in that hour, what would compel Jesus to not call on 10,000 angels and to get him out of that situation? To what, what propelled him to continue going forward? What was this joy set before Jesus? I think there are three things. I think all of these are the things. I think number one, I think it was him saying, in a, just in a short time, I'm going to be reunited with my dad. Remember, this is the favored son who volunteered to leave the palace of the king. The good father sent his son into the world to be scornfully treated by evil men and women. And he knows just in a little while I'm going to get through this. And part of this joy is I'm going to be reunited with my father. I'm going to take my rightful place. I'm going to sit down at the right hand of my father where I've always meant to be. He's going to be reunited with his dad. The second one, I think you and I were the joy. I think your picture was before his face when his arms were stretched wide and he was enduring pain in the last breath and trying to, uh, trying to uh, continue the journey to the very end when he would say it's finished. I believe you were a picture in his mind. I believe the wedding day was a picture in his mind that a wedding was coming. I believe him saying, man, my father is going to get more children. I'm going to do this, and my father will receive an inheritance, a bigger family. So I believe it's reunification with his dad. It's us, the bride. And then the third one, I believe it's about access. I believe Jesus is saying, I will endure this. Part of my joy is knowing this. There is only one plan to tear the veil between heaven and earth, access. Heaven is finally going to fully be accessible into the earth. Next one, joy has a lot to do with hope. I love this quote by Moltmann, this German theologian I read sometimes. It says this, hope is anticipated joy. Isn't that good? But anxiety is anticipated terror. I just like the first part, really. We'll focus on that. Hope is anticipated joy. Joy and hope in Scripture are so closely linked. Romans 15, 13, we pray this in the house of prayer a lot. Now may the God of hope, the hopeful God, fill you with all what? All joy and peace 
as you believe in him. Now, remember the third parts of the kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy. We got two-thirds of the kingdom in this verse. Romans 12, 2, it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I've been looking at this verse more and more in Romans 12, uh, 12, and I've seen it as a recipe for the end time church. I really see this as the most incredible combination, and it's just made me stop and go, hmm, that is so interesting. These four ingredients, joy, hope, patience, our, our friend Lish calls it endurance, endurance plus ongoing prayer. Remember, we talked about the priority of prayer um, uh, Luke 18, men ought to always pray and never faint, not stop. So persevering prayer, faithfulness in prayer is a recipe for healthy culture. We also know in Nehemiah 8, it talks about this story uh, that where we find strength, there's strength, great strength found in joy. In Nehemiah 8, they're uh, having their appointed feast times. The uh, scripture is being read the scripture has been away for so long. There's been such a forward rebuilding movement, and the word of God is being read, and the people are cut to the heart, and the weeping is so loud. Finally, Nehemiah has had enough, and the great papa Nehemiah stands up and goes, enough. This is time to move from weeping into great joy. Weeping into great joy. He says, here's the key. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I think some of you have been in mourning a day too long. And the Lord is saying there's a component called joy that will actually add strength to your inner man that will help you in the days that are coming. There is a time for appointed celebrations of joy. You know why I'm excited about our church picnic? Tom, coming up June 9th, you and I are going to help serve that, being good examples. We'll be at the grill, right? Maybe. Or I'm bringing chicken, so you can be at the grill. Okay, do you know why I love that? There are appointed times and celebrations for joy. Why don't we make June 9th just a celebration of joy for our church? Can, is that okay if you and I just have a celebration of joy? Jesus said, keep the feast days. I mean, keep those times together. So I'm just declaring right now, Mayor Marvin, it's official. June 9th is a day of joy at the well. Joy. Thank you. That was not really applause worthy, but thank you. Okay, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is number one, love. What's second in line there? It got second place right behind love. You think Holy Spirit did that on purpose? Do you think order matters in Hebraic scripture? Order matters. Love is the foundation stone. God is love. The next thing is this manifestation of joy. Second in line right after love. We better teach on joy more or activate in it more. So here's another thing. Joy manifests when we delight in God's word and truth. So Psalm 19, 8 the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. Guess what? I don't have to guess about my moral compass. I don't have to guess in an age that everyone is screaming at me, this sin is okay. Now, don't talk about what the Bible says. I don't have to guess because the word of God, where are we at? Uh, here we go. The word of God 
We are a Bible-based church because this stone is real. This foundation is real and true in this body. I don't have to guess about morality or a moral compass, the word of God. And I delight in what his word says. I delight in it. It brings joy to my heart. Next one, joy has everything to do with staring at God. Now, I I grew up with the mama who said it's not polite to stare and like, stop staring at that person. Part of the print, I was a feeler and a perceiver, right, Jen? I know you were too. And like, I would go into places like she'd be, you know, in Walmart, I'd be in the little thing. And my brother, I had a twin brother who was just so gregarious, he would be out like high-fiving and like talk schmoozing, he's a salesman, like schmoozing everyone. I'd be like so shy, introverted in the shopping cart, but eyes wide open, perceiving everything around me, feeling it, and like staring. And like, I cannot tell you how many times my mama had to say, stop staring. It's not polite to stare because I'd be like seeing demons on people, seeing angelic activity going on. Here's the thing. I grew up to be a starer, though. It is an okay thing to stare at God because what we behold, we become. So I love Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to the Lord are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. The reason why I'm including this verse, remember I talked about one of the words for joy is the word to be bright or to shine. It's that word radiant. Those who, so if you want more joy, I would challenge you, it maybe has time to do with staring at God through his word primarily. Through worship, why I love getting here at 9.30. I just, I don't really have an agenda at the 9.30 service other than to stare at God and watch that transform my heart. Then he shares some little fun things with me. So it's one of those words for joy. As we get ready to close here, the upside down kingdom of God. I would do you guys a disservice if I didn't talk about the concept of joy connected with sufferings and trials. Joy is not the word we usually think of when you go, Jess, I'm like really going through it. Count it all joy, brother. Come on, count it all joy. You better tell me that next time I'm going through it. Um, So, but joy and trials are, Paul develops a theology in scripture where they're so closely connected uh, with suffering. And so James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. When you're going through a trial at work, trial with your friends, trial with your kids, trial in your marriage, a trial. You know what trial is? Like a test. I say this all the time. I've said it for years. Every test is ultimately a test of love. Every trial is a test of love. And Paul said, Praise God, it means you're in the faith. It means it's a sign, a token that you're adopted, you're grafted in. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials because God is producing something so powerful in us. He tells to the church in Philippi, he says, have joy in the Lord always. Do you know what the word always translates time-wise? Always. Brett, you knew that one was coming. Always translates always. Rejoice always. And then if Papa Paul has to repeat himself, you know that church in Philippi was complaining. Papa Paul calls out, word of knowledge, the church in Philippi, but he does it from the positive. How about we start calling people out of things we see by calling out the positive? We turn 
that discernment thing into calling out gold in one another. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Stop your complaining. Stop your irritation with each other. Stop your control and demands. Rejoice. Have joy. The singing God, Zephaniah 3, 17, he will rejoice or show joy over you with singing. I just want to share a quick story. In the 1600s, many of you know the story of John Wesley, one of my favorite revivalists leading one of the great awakenings. Uh, British guy, just incredible family. Uh, But when uh, John Wesley, do you know he was a preacher before he got saved? He was an evangelist, and he wasn't even saved. So he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. It was religious. So he was out. He actually came to America to evangelize, but he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Happens in the church all the time. It's called religion versus relationship. So John the Wesley is doing that. He's coming back from America to England. He's on a huge ship in a storm True story, a storm hits in the middle of this trip, and everyone, I mean, hundreds of people on the ship, they know they're going to die. It is so absolutely violent on the seas. You can read about this in John Wesley's journals, but um, what is so astounding that uh, on the ship, there's this group of Moravian missionaries. Now, the Moravians were this uh, group of believers who came out of Count Zinzendorf's uh, um, who was the leader in Moravia and went through this incredible revival. They're the ones who started a 113-year prayer meeting that went 24-7 for about 113 years, launched the greatest missions movement still known in history. And so there was this group of about 20, 30 Moravians who were traveling to England from America, and um, everyone on the boat is absolutely fainting with fear. They know, they feel like they're going to die. I mean, water's coming into the boat. And John looks, I mean, John is freaking out. He says he looks over at this group of Moravians and they're singing praises to God. He said, even the babies were sound asleep in their mother's arms. He said, it was like light was shining on this entire group. He said, there was not one shout not one tear, no one shaking, no one screaming. They were just singing praises to God. They weren't even rebuking the storm. They were all in worship and sat there with incredible. The thing he saw on them was joy and peace on this group. And he said, at that moment, I got converted. He said, because I notice a difference between whatever they have is what I want. They have real Jesus And so he ended up talking with these guys. He actually ended up in a Moravian Moravian settlement uh, for a couple years getting discipled and then was launched out and then became one of the greatest revivalists that we know in history. And so there's something about when joy rests on a people. What if people looked in at the well and go, whatever that is, I don't have it and that's what I want. Okay, let me just say this real quick. Not responding and living in joy has consequences. I'm really provoked by this verse this week. I don't know if I've ever read this. I'm sure I've read it, but I don't know how. It's like you have scripture that you're like, is that really in the Bible? I can't believe I've not seen this. Deuteronomy 28, because you did not serve the Lord with joy and gladness, you will serve your enemies. How many of you are serving 
depression because you will not serve the Lord with joy and gladness. You end up becoming a slave to your enemy. Not that Jesus is doing it, but you end up giving that thing so much permission that it ends up being your captor. Isn't that revelatory? It's just on me this week. Like how many things, how long did I live in depression because I, I, I did not choose life, Michelle? Choose life. I knew to stay away from death. <laughs> Couldn't go there, but I didn't actually do the other part of choosing gladness and joy. I, I want to propose to you guys that joy is a choice. Joy is the man, Christ Jesus. And you have a choice today. I believe that we are in an Acts 8 moment. I think the well is in an Acts 8 moment. I think we are in an Acts 8 window of time. Hey, if you go, Sally, if you could go get the kids and tell the, the young oaks to come in, we're going to do, they're going to help us with ministry time this morning. Do you know the Acts 8 makes it clear joy is a result of good news transforming regions. Acts 8 is the story. Persecution hits. Yay, counted all joy. Remember what did I read? Counted all joy when various trials hit. And so persecution hits and the uh, evangelists go forth. Revival breaks out in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. They begin to preach the gospel. Philip begins to preach in Samaria. And it says this, not only does he preach he backs it up with signs and wonders, so much so that demons are shrieking, leaving people. I don't know about you, but the last three or four weeks, I've seen people shrinking from demons leaving, for real. It's just a sign we are in an Acts 8 window of time. Do you know how that story ends in Acts 8? It says the entire city was filled with great joy. Well... We are in an Acts 8 invitation. Can Carmel say, and that city was filled with great joy because of a a season of deliverance. We are headed into a season of deliverance. We really are in a window of deliverance of people getting free from their stuff. And here's the thing. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. That word isn't judgment like you're going to get thrown in prison. It means dealing, God dealing with us, evaluation. I think we're entering into, Tori had a powerful word about a season of deliverance we're entering into, and that was both individual and corporate. It is Acts chapter 8. We're in an Acts chapter 8 window, and um, what are we going to be known for? I just would love it if people could look at Indianapolis or this region and go, a region of great joy. A region of great joy. Why? Because the good news has gone forth and demons are shrinking, leaving people. Because the, the, it's not just the gospel, it's backed up with signs and wonders. Amen. So there you have it, friends. That's joy. Unspeakable, filled with glory. Okay, Terry, why don't you come up? Our kids have been doing an activation today. Just share.